Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of one of you games, and I design tabletop role-playing games. And I am here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. Uh, yes, I am Craig Campbell. I'm the uh, owner of Nerdburger Games, and I design and publish uh, tabletop role-playing games as well. And uh, here we are with um, two new topics to talk about and a guest, like you do. Uh, and our guest today is returning, is Sharon Biswas. Hello, Sharon. Glad to be here again. Thank you for inviting me again. Um, Sharon, Sharon was posing, <laughs> and, and I think maybe briefly forgetting that this is audio only. Oh, oh, <laughs> I forgot that as well. <laughs> he looks very excited to be here. It was I'm a wonderful place. excited to be here. So, yes. <laughs> and yeah. who are you and what do you do? Uh, yeah, so I'm Sharon Biswas. Um, I am a game designer focusing on analog stuff. I'm also an artist and writer. I'm currently on the faculty of the NYU Game Center and Fordham's Department of Computer Science. And I am the game artist in residence at the Museum of the Moving Image in New York right now. So, super legit. <laughs> I a lot more legit than me. Yeah. I just make games on my computer at home. So what are we <laughs> going to be talking about with the professor today, Craig? With the professor? Well, we're going to talk about uh, something that I think um, GMs run into um, if you've been GMing for a while, or if you're just starting in with GMing with a group of friends, which is you've either got friends who have played the games for a long time, and now you're starting to GM, or maybe you've all played together for a long time, whether you're GMing or not. And they kind of know the game that you're playing. They know it inside and out. They know what the monsters are like. They know how to counteract this superpower. They know, like, what's the what's the deadliest, nastiest, ickiest, uh, you know, horror monster that's in the game. Like, they, they know all the, the, the traps and pitfalls and how to surprise them, how to come up with things that you can do to kind of, like, put those players on their heels a little bit um, with a game system that they know very well or with a GMing style and uh, kind of thematic elements that you use that you, you know, we, we all have our things that we're comfortable, comfortable with, we reuse them, um, and finding ways to shake that up a little bit to kind of keep things fresh and, and surprise uh, your players. So I have all sorts of ideas. I'm happy to, um, to let other people steal some of the thunder to begin with. If anybody has anything they want to start with, otherwise I, I can, I can go. Sure. So I am, I've always been a big proponent of like people playing lots of different kinds of games and playing lots of different indie RPGs and things, right? Our assumption here is that you, you know what game you're playing. It's like a, a game you've been playing for a long time, whatever. However, I still think you can use the lessons of playing lots of different games. Um, so for example, um, I was just gifted um, the new 5e Strixhaven book, right? I tend to run indie game. I don't run 5e that much, even though I do like Dungeons and Dragons. But one of the things I'm going to do is there's a magical sport in the game, um, in, in the campaign. But rather than use the system that's in the book, which is, you know, <clears throat> lovely, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to borrow um, elements from Story Brewers' new game, uh, which is about sports teams and the drama that happens between them. And I'm going to use those elements. The, the, the quick start is free and I kickstart it as well. Um, it's called Fight with Spirit. Um, and I'm going to introduce that as our like sports mechanic, right? So introducing like little like mini game elements from different systems, I think is a very interesting way of providing a little bit of a change um, to your players. And also... I mean, these other indie games are, are worth 
playing and buying, right? They have really good thoughts. So if you want, for example, uh, if you're, uh, you're, let's say your players are entering a, a kingdom or, or you're starting a new campaigns in a completely different location, what if you, you know, play a game of dialect for one session, creating the culture and language of this land that these people are entering. Remember in dialect, um, which is by Thorny Games, uh, in dialect, the culture you create ultimately dies at the end. So that creates a great space for like a mythological kingdom, maybe ruins, and your players who will then have played one end of the of that like playing dialect creating the culture and then they come in as these adventurers i'm assuming you're playing you know a d20 sort of game um they, they, they'll have a really interesting experience um role playing because their you know human selves know a lot about the culture and their role playing selves don't and they're discovering it i think yeah so using other game systems as mini encounters could be really powerful is one idea i i think there are like two really, really good nuggets in there too. Cause I, I love, I love that borrowing in elements from games that might do that mechanic better than the game that you're playing. Because if, you know, fight with spirit, it's about playing games. They're going to do that really, really well. Kind of Whereas uh, yeah, it's a game about games. Exactly. Uh, it is. Um, so like finding those, those games that do something in, in that really good and cool way, their specialty. And also, giving the players a little bit more stake in creating the world. So they're all of the onus isn't on you to be surprising the players, but it's a shared experience what they're doing to come up with things. It's, it's so much easier to surprise people. If you have like five minds working together than just your one mind working versus five people versus for lack of a better word. I love that idea, especially um, the, the point about this, like having them share, because if you're playing the kind of game where the DM tends to have a bigger authorial voice in the setting, which is many kinds of games, mm -hmm. but if you do some shared world building, obviously, I mean, the, the easy, like we all know this, that it makes people invested. But what's also interesting is if, if your players have, you know, helped create something and then you subvert or twist or add an interesting element to what they created mm -hmm. i mean keeping to the spirit of it of course because you know they want to see what they created right but adding an interesting element to it um could be like really cool and surprising for them because they feel they know this thing and you're like aha but actually that i don't know secret thieves guild is all they're all ghosts you know <laughs> um, and they're like oh whoa right so <laughs> i was gonna say they're controlled by a beholder and i'm like oh that's not very original at all um so yeah, they're all ghosts that's uh, a bunch of ghost thieves is yeah yeah and that's why they're so inept they can't touch any of the treasure they want to steal <laughs> that sounds like the saddest thieves in the world <laughs> like i can't even all oh. yeah <laughs> Um, Maybe they don't know that they're ghosts. Oh boy! That would be a great adventure. There's like thieves guild recently all died, but they're they don't know this and they keep trying to do heists, but like it's not working anymore. Hey, there's there's I, a there's a great kickoff to a campaign. None of the characters know they're ghosts. They're in the tavern. They get the the call to adventure from the stranger, and you go off and you have like one or two, three adventures, and then they discover that they're actually dead, and they have to find a way to bring themselves back to life. And then the campaign begins. It's very M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> I want to play that. 
<laughs> I do. <laughs> That's our new um, our new mini segment in our in our podcast. Is I want to play that. <laughs> yeah the, uh, <laughs> the 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 campaign that takes off in an you know with takes off with something unexpected is a good way to to just set the stage and make the players like rethink everything they're going to do. Um, I know the I have the story of I didn't play in the campaign, but I know of someone who got everybody together to play vampire and had all the character, all the players make their human characters. The expectation that it was strongly uh, implied that they were, you know, the first session was going to involve their characters being turned, um, being embraced and turned into kindred. And so they made these characters and the characters were coming home from a club and they were in an alleyway and there's like a bunch of gang banger type, uh, clearly bruja vampires that came into the alleyway and the, the bruja attacked them and all the players were like, oh, here we go. We're all going to be bruja. Here we go. And then the bruja uh, all bit them and sucked their blood dry and killed them and left. And then the GM said, okay, and now we're going to make your wraith characters. That's and they fun. played Wraith and they like, they, they, you know, like, because nobody expects, like, if you're going to play Wraith, like, oh, well, you can like, I'm going to make a human character who's going to die and be a ghost. And, you know, I like you have that expectation, but like, you know, in the real, in the real world, very, very rarely do people like if somebody's like murdered, you know, nobody sees it coming. Like, you know, like, it, it, like it, horrible things happen, very unexpected. And it's, and in with Wraith and, and the, the themes that involves like traumatic things from your, your previous life and everything like the, 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 that, that storyteller, that GM set up like a very traumatic thing from the, from the get go, or they just, they started off the, 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 the campaign with the characters being killed. And I think this is an interesting idea because I would not, for example, do that with a new group, right? Mm-hmm. Because right. That would be, Right, you want so this is only possible with a group that you've been playing for a while because you have this level of trust built up where you know expectations of the table, you know that kind of thing. So I, I would feel le- more comfortable surprising uh, an existing group with something like this than a new group at all. Because with a new group, you want to be like, okay, what is everyone's comfort level? What does everyone like and dislike and lines and veils and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, I think this is like the, the, this is an opportunity that's only available if you're playing uh, with a group that with whom you've built up a lot of trust and i think that's really lovely you know yeah and all of this all of this uh advice that comes for for this topic really is like you might have a group that they don't want like they want to they want to expect stuff they want to be like okay this is here comes an ogre i know what an ogre does here comes a white dragon i know what a white dragon does that's the game they want to play um and so it's it's you know making sure that also that you know that the players are are going to be uh are going to embrace the idea that like maybe Mm. their expectations are going to be set on their ear like you know what the some of the standbys to go to what we can cover very quickly and then get in you know continue with more um esoteric things is you know changing up the stats of what some of the monsters do like giving them slightly different abilities or taking a monster and just reskinning it to look like something else so that like when you describe the thing, the players either think it's something else or they don't know what it is, even though like, well, it's just got all the same, you know, it does everything that a, that a beholder does. It's just this other thing. <laughs> yeah. One of the things to keep an eye out for when you're doing that is making sure like if you are, if you have been playing like D- you've been playing D&D for 20 years with the same group and now you're reskinning some monsters, you might see a little bit of frustration be open like, hey this is something different. It's not monster manual. If, if you start to see maybe that like, like, Hey, I know what this character, this thing's AC is like, what's, what's going on. Be sure to be upfront with that. But again, like these are, these should be a long-term group of 
friends that you've been playing with for a while. There should be that trust built up and you should be going into this knowing them and knowing, you know, what they want and what, uh, you know, what their reactions might be. Yeah. And similarly, um, um, playing with play- the expectations of a player characters' capabilities can be a similar and powerful way of kickstarting things in different ways. So I think the 5e uh, adventure book, uh, Out of the Abyss, does that in an interesting way because the players start out as prisoners of these like drow jailers and there's an anti-magic field around their prison and like you can roll for what they've scrounged they're like a tiny shiv a live rat a piece of string and a rock you know (laughs) and the players have to be it's an interesting way of like okay how do we get out of this prison with this like live spider that's now my pet what do i do with this um Another thing I think is really interesting is the like people love um, humans love illusions and reincorporation mm-hmm. of previous things, right? Yes. So, and I don't necessarily mean oh, if the first game of Thirteenth Age was in this, and the second of Thirteenth Age is now in the future, but those characters are now myths. I don't necessarily mean just that. I mean you can have like literary style illusions that are just like funny and jokey right like if you're playing a, if you if the last campaign you played was a vampire game and then um the next campaign you're playing is fate of the norns um what if there's like an npc who is like referencing uh who's similar to one of the npcs they saw in the previous campaign obviously not the same it's a completely different setting it's you know viking myth and not modern day vampires um, but like if there's a similar character or if there's someone with a very similar name that has similar personality, um, those kinds of things, like seeing repetition uh, and tropes um, repeat can be like a source of delight. They're like, oh, that person, like, you know, there was a matronly woman named whatever, and it's a similar matronly vampire. Well, we know she's going to give us, like, cookies. Oh, no, but she's giving us Viking-style cookies. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, those kinds of funny things. People, like, ex- like, 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 uh, like Craig said, people like expecting things as well. It's not just about the surprise. Uh, so I think having those um, allusions to past games or, you know, even out-of-game things um, can be fun and surprising and, like, delightful for players. I think a good place to go find those elements is by watching shows that have like a, like a, like franchise type things like, uh, you know, uh, the resident evil game series, you always have the merchant there and like this, this trope that continues in all of the, in all the games. Now that's, it's all set in one world and everything. So it's not as different as modern day vampires versus, you know, Viking age people, (laughs) but, but there's still, you know, that callback, in different ways, different themes. The Adventure Zone has done that with their merchant. They use cat cartoon characters to be their merchants, whether that's Garfield or uh, Normal, you know, all of these um, these fun, uh, just kind of, you know, inside jokes. Uh, but you could also do something where you are doing like a, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm going to make this very vague. You could also do something where you bring back a character from it, like let let the player who's really cool favorite character died a long, long, let them bring that character back to be a, a friendly NPC or really PC in this case to this new campaign. Let them have some closure in something that they didn't have closure before uh, and, and, and tie up a story. And if it fits thematically, like if you, if you're looking through your notes and you see some echoes, like, Hey, this really reminds me of 
Broderick the Brave from like a year ago. Maybe Broderick the Brave can come back and, you know, stab somebody before he, you know, goes off to his eternal resting place. That's interesting. That'd be an interesting idea that, especially if, you're, if your campaigns aren't like three years long each, let's say you're playing more medium-sized campaigns, it could be interesting to be like, well, if we're, let's say you're changing system, it could be interesting to be like, well, what does this character look like? Like my my D and D druid. Well, if he were, if we now we're playing cyberpunk red, what is the if it's the same personality? But what does my druid look like in the world of cyberpunk red? Like like mm-hmm. bringing back character in a different form um, could be very interesting. Again, if you've played like a three year long campaign that you might not want to because you know you have full closure of your character. But if you're used to playing more medium-sized or mini campaigns and you still want to play that same character but in a different way, like, could be interesting. Or, like, even if you're playing the same system, right? Like, let's say you have Bob the Druid. Well, what if Bob, same personality, but instead of a Druid, is a monk, right? Like, what does that mean if he's now a monk? He doesn't have his nature powers anymore. Now he's this, like, studious and contemplative philosopher but similar like what does it mean that that could be a challenge to pose your players alternatively you can ask them hey we're gonna do a mini arc where you're gonna play characters that another person played in your oh. right? <laughs> I, I love the body swap trope that's I love I love that yeah like what does that mean <laughs> that you played this like um sexy like sorcerer dude for for you know months and now your friend didn't play that sexy sorcerer dude. How does he interpret that differently, you know? So yeah, one or two session story where you like where you you really change things up. Like I think oftentimes of uh I mean it was just one character in, in that episode, but uh the 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 smile time episode of Ale, of Angel, where Angel gets turned into a puppet. He's like a Muppet style puppet, and he he's still Angel and he still does angel things like helping people, and he still vamps out into puppet vampire. But he also like, like has like puppet things going on. Like there's things that he can't resist when he's like, oh, you know, he gets a, he's very excitable um, because like that's what puppet people are like. Um, you can take you can in like you're doing a body swap um, where you're suddenly like your character is in somebody else's body with their abilities and their their spells and whatever else their superpowers. Um, that can be fun. I did a thing years ago where the um, the campaign that it was a, it was a seagoing campaign so they were constantly traveling from place to place and the ship ran aground it was a dnd game the ship ran aground on an island and they all were were struck unconscious when they woke up um i had prepared alternate character sheets for each of their characters that were their characters as kids uh, and so they had slingshots and mud pies and you know uh, different toys and things yeah. and all of their abilities like you know like any anything I, I did what i could to just kind of transpose their ability simplify them transpose their ability into like kid versions of things um and then everything that was happening on the island was built around um sing a song of sixpence and so they had to figure out the mystery of what was keeping uh the, the you know sing a song of sixpence a pocket full of rye four and twenty you know they eventually they came across somebody that had four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie and like what was going on with the king and the queen and like they had to solve the problems of these npcs that were tied into this uh, uh nursery rhyme basically that you know is 
they kind of knew as players, but they didn't all rem- remember perfectly. Um, and I didn't let anybody look it up. <laughs> so it, it took them, it took a, it took a little time for them to kind of piece it all back together and figure, remember, you know, whatever, what all happens with it. Yeah, I'm like, you can, yeah, just thematically go and like have some weird magical effect or alternate reality that, that puts their characters into like a different place in a different form and a different, you know, it could be a different style of game. It could become a very comedic game or a lighthearted kids oriented game. And like custom mechanics like that can be very, very fun. I, when I was playing fourth edition way back when I remember one of our, I think that with a one shot and this DM set us in this like library and we're like, you know, magical library trope. It was fun. But then one thing he did was um, there were these like logivores that ate words and he said, every time you as players say words apart from the very basic list of I attack or something, he counted the words you were saying and noted them down and that like had effects on the monster, like the monster became stronger, right? That's fun. Right? So like he like <laughs> made, he made an uh, out like extra diegetic thing part of the game. Like he was counting, obviously, I'm not saying everyone should count the words of all their players, like whatever, but like something like that, something that outside the game comes in or some other limitation, like, oh, um, right now, like you cannot look at your character. You all have amnesia. You can't look at your character sheet. I have your character sheets in front of me. You have to remember what you can do. And if you get it wrong, you can't do it. Uh, But if you remember, yes, you can do that. You know, obviously that's not going to be fun for the whole game, but for like one session, like the magical effect that Craig said, these kind of things can like, you know, change up um, uh, your game. It can be cool. And, you know, and if the players didn't like it, it was just one session. And then, you know, go back to your normal stuff. Right. If they didn't, if they didn't care for it, it was one session and you're on your way. And if they did like it, it's, it's very likely it, it, it happens with, it's happened with me a number of times when I do these weird sessions like this, those become some of the most memorable mm-hmm. games in, in the run. Those are things that people, like people, I get somebody mentioned that game or the, the, uh, the, 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 the candlelight game with deadlands where if your candle went out, your character died, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, that I ran on a Halloween night, you know, like those games stick. And if they didn't like it, then the next game will appreciate even more. Like yeah. <laughs> well, I like what normal. our normal thing. We did a, a character arc where we had to kind of resolve what was going on with one of our players who hadn't been able to show up for a couple sessions. Um, so we said that his character was lost. Um, and after like our last big arc and we had to go, you know, he's like, we have no idea where he is. And then the next session that our, our, this, our friend came back to, apparently he and the GM had collaborated on some ideas and what the, that idea was his character had been captured. It was a world war II game. So he was captured by the Nazis. He was um, stripped of his memory and his power and he didn't recall any of it. And when we encountered him again, we, we were all like, Oh, there he is. We found him. How are you? And just dealing with the fact that he didn't recognize us and didn't know anything that was going on. Just thought he was a Russian soldier trying to do his thing was so fun for the rest of us and for him too because it was like this this really like we it was supposed to be this moment like here he is he's alive that's wonderful and he doesn't recognize us at all great and then turns out because his power was um he could like turn into this weird monster thing uh we had to go uh find uh the weird monster thing and try to shove it back into him 
so he could get his memories back. And that was it was really fun for us because it was very emotional for us. This character that we loved is our characters. And for him, too, because he got to be kind of the star of the show for a while. Uh, so uh, collaborate with another player, GMs. Uh, make make them, let them on, in on the secret or the surprise. Uh, it doesn't really ruin the surprise for them. It makes them, you know, it gives them some of the little power and control uh, at, in that scene or scenes or arc or however long you're going to be doing this. So they're all, I love secret roles and players having things that they are not going to tell the other players at the table. But the GM and then, knows. And then the last thing I probably could think of, if I spend more time, I probably think of more stuff. But the thing that I thought of earlier is sometimes it's fun to just have a silly day kind of mm-hmm. session, right? Like, yeah, we're saving worlds and killing dragons. Oh, today we have to do laundry and like there's some silly laundry, <laughs> right? Like, oh no, the town, there's a festival coming and all the clothes are dirty. How do we like clean everyone's clothes, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, I, I think I'm strict saving again. Today, we're going to just pull a prank. Nothing about big world shattering stuff. Like there's a feast. Okay, we all have to collect food for tonight and impress the like local like lord or whatever like the filler episode yeah yeah filler episodes I mean people yes. think like we talk about like anime and filler episodes and blah blah but like they can be really delightful right any uh, beach episode I love I love doing the anime beach episode in my games it's that's my <laughs> that's my version of this and they can be those those types of uh, sessions can be surprisingly character driven and character development oriented mm-hmm. because you're not focusing all of your attention on again you know like saving the world or the kingdom or whatever you're just partaking in this relatively mundane thing but then characters all of a sudden have very strong opinions about that very mundane yes. thing and there there's conflict and some people want to do it this way and some people want to do it that way and then you have to go and find you know there's NPCs that need to get involved so you can it's a great way to introduce other characters that can come into play down the road. Um, and you can let that character development and those NPCs and everything really breathe um, and, and, take, on, and take on a life for an episode without having to be constantly forced. Like, we we, we got to keep moving because, like, the clock is ticking before the necromancer raises the army. <laughs> yeah, and Jess's world building um, point can marry really well into that. Because let's say you're playing the kind of game where the players don't do a lot of world building, right? Which is, you know, legitimate. Um, But you can be like, okay, so today there's a festival in town, right? And there you can give the player a little bit of opportunity to be like, tell me, let's tell you, tell me a little about the festival and how you prepare for it. Like, what is it celebrating, right? Um, Because, yeah, there's a legit kind of game where you want, where the players want the GM to do most of world building because it's a game about discovery and Mm -hmm. mystery and stuff. Um, and here, that's a low stakes way of getting the players to do some. Uh, if your players are not used to doing that, it's an easy way for them to start practicing that skill of doing world building in that way with you. Um, and like, it's a, like, let's say during the filler beach episode, like, great, describe the beach for me. Tell me about the like rival volleyball players. I don't know. <laughs> of course, it? yes, the rival. You have to have volleyball. Have and to, right? l- leading question: When you've got, if you have players that aren't maybe uh, confident or haven't had a lot of experience with kind of helping to kind of build the world as you go, leading questions. You don't. They don't. You don't need to say, well, you know, tell me about the beach. You can just literally say, like, well, what's remarkable about the beach? What is out of the ordinary about? the beach you know what is what is what, uh, what, what is being barbecued why do people come to this to this festival what's what's the draw for people from outside of town 
And it's just, it just becomes like one little tidbit that becomes important. And the, and the players will come up with something that you probably didn't, wouldn't think of. Um, and they'll feel, you know, hopefully um, a little more invested because they helped to create that little thing. And then, then and then when you threaten the, the festival later or have, you know, something bad start happening to, in the town, they've had a hand in creating it. And so they, now they're uh, hopefully a little more invested in, uh, in helping to save it. So there's a whole bunch of stuff, right? Um, I'm going to hand the next topic over to Jess a little bit to set up. Okay. What are we What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about romance. We're we're, we're throwing it back. Some romance and as our game design topic. So we're going to be talking about designing for romance. Not just as an afterthought, but what can you do in your game design to make room for this you know, pretty important aspect of, of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people are aromantic, but right. for, for the majority of people, romance is an integral part of our, our lives and uh, our relationships with other people. Yeah. It's and, a little, I talk about a lot in, 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 um, in gay, in, um, in um, what's it called? Lectures that like we predominantly focus on like combat, which honestly for most people isn't a big part of their lives, which might be the reason they want to roleplay, which is great, right? Like I don't fight people ever, so I'm gonna roleplay this, right? But uh, romance and relationships, even if they're not about every single individual, they're still important to humanity as a whole. And it's interesting to explore that kind of thing in uh, in our games, right? So. Yeah, for me as a player, I I have explored romance in my games and it's it's really increased the stakes for me as a player. I haven't really done it as a game designer. Sean, you are the expert here in this matter, I feel. <laughs> Don't grimace at me. Come on. <laughs> expert. Um so yeah, so so first off, it is um if you're if you're the base level, right? If you're not designing a full game, if you're just trying to introduce elements into your existing RPGs, not that hard. I'm sure all of you who are experienced game masters can know how to do this, bring in NPCs. Um, obviously, something you want to do is check in with your players first off if there's something they're even interested in, because um, some players will not want to involve elements mm -hmm. of romance in their role-playing game. It's it's uncomfortable or weird or just not something they're interested in. So obviously check in with your players first. But at the base level, it's easy to like bring in an NPC and have like cute romantic like moments and things, right? Um, but beyond that, so just brought up this idea of like, what about if you're designing a new game or designing a new portion of an existing game? How do you bring in um, elements of romance, right? So the first thing when I design games in general um, is I think of verbs, right? And I've talked about this a lot, is I think of what verbs are the players engaging in as their game? It could be something like rolling dice, right? Um, or it could be something like eating breakfast, which is, you know, one of the games I've made, right? Um, or what verbs are we trying to model, right? It could be swinging a sword and cutting off someone's head. That is a verb we're trying to model. Or it could be flirting, right? That's another <laughs> verb we're trying to model. And I try and think of, well, can we mesh these together in an interesting way? A great example um, is um, 
the game Starcrossed, right? Um, Starcrossed by, oh my God, I literally just spoke to her this morning. Alex Roberts. Alex Roberts. I literally spoke to her this morning uh, for a meeting. <laughs> uh, so a great example is Starcrossed by Alex Roberts, right? Starcrossed is a is a inspired by um, Apidaya Ravakal's, um, oh my God, I'm a terrible game designer. The Jenga-based horror game, what's it called? Dread. Dread. Dread, yes. It's inspired by Apidaya Ravakal's Dread. It's a Starcrossed, it's a two-player game where you are playing two people who really, really want to romantically or sexually get together, but really like can't because I, I don't know one of them is a water elemental one of them is a fire elemental or they're both <laughs> nuns at a convent or one of them is the queen and the other one is a pauper right whatever it is um and you really want to get together and it's all about romantic tension and the way alex roberts creates this feeling is very much using the verbs the players engage with which is pulling blocks from a jenga tower because in this game if the, uh, sorry, a tumbling blocks tower because <laughs> proprietary, um, lol. Um, and the thing is you want to, if you, if your tower collapses too early, your relationship does not, is doomed, right? If your tower survives until like certain things have happened in the game, your relationship can flourish, right? And so every time you're pulling a block from the tower, it creates a, physical sense of tension in you as the player playing the game, which I think maps really well into this idea of romantic tension that the players yeah. want to build. So that's, a, that's an excellent example of um, what, of, of use of one of my points, which is using verbs in an interesting, engaging and clever way. It's a very difficult thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. That's game design, right? But that is the first place I tend to start. Yeah, definitely. We, we talked a lot about on this podcast, like meshing your mechanics with the themes of your game and, and like these themes of romance, the tension and romance. That's what we, we love that. Like when we watch romance movies or we read romance novels, we love the will, will it, won't it, will they, won't they thing. And it like something that anything that you can do to make the game feel like produce that kind of tense that like physiological like a little bit of adrenaline a little bit of like your your heart's fluttering that is the same physiological process as somebody who is like you know has that love struck feeling yeah uh there of course like romance too you can think of these other things like uh this this give and take nature that romance has so what can you do to produce within your mechanics that idea of of give and take or all sorts of, you could look into the love languages and well, okay, what can you do with these love languages to replicate them uh, mechanically in your game? I've only designed one game that involved romance and it was based off of, this is how you lose the time war. And oh, that, nice. Yeah. So that's a, it's a book where it, it was written by two people and they're writing letters back and forth as these characters who are on opposite sides of a, a grand battle over okay whose final universe is going to stay yeah literally a battle for time yes yeah. it's it's a great novel it's awesome um and uh it's a i wanted to replicate in the game this idea of writing letters to try to one-up each other in this enemies to lovers style fashion so think about think about those those the things that you particularly like and enjoy about romance what can you do 
to make that the reality of your game. Yeah. And it is, it's hard. It's like so much easier said than done. Cause it does take a lot of thinking and reflecting and trying things out. Um, are you ever going to be re- able to replicate a romance 100% in a game? Uh, no, that's impossible. But you can't replicate anything 100% in a game. No, yeah, yeah. exactly. Except <laughs> I guess playing a game. You can replicate <laughs> playing a game in the game. Uh, but just like thinking of an element, it doesn't have to be everything. Just do one thing. At yeah. least start from there. In my opinion, for my practice, it I find my work to be strongest when I'm focusing on like one mm-hmm. thing, and I make like a quicker game. I'm not. I, I've rarely made a game that's like fifty-five session campaign. Right? I mean, I worked on Avatar, right? But that was not just me alone. That was the whole team, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I, I that I think that's a really good piece of advice. And to further that, so Jess was just talking about like. Think of something you like in romance, like the friends to lovers trope or the enemies to lovers trope or whatever, and make that. The next powerful thing you can do is, can you think of something you have not seen in romance? Or can you displace something in a, and, and make a constraint or make a difference? So for example, um, many of you who are listening or might know about the anthology I co-edited with Lucian Khan called Honey and Hot Wax, right? It's an anthology of role-playing games um, themed on sex. Um, one of the games um, in the anthology, uh, which is made by uh, Kat Jones and Will Morningstar, is a game called You Inside Us. And it's a game for two players. It's, it's LARPish. Uh, it is where one of you is like a, like an astronaut or some kind of person in space, and the other one is the alien parasite that infects them, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they're asking the question uh, among it's a very intelligent game they're doing a lot of things the one thing they're asking is well what does a romance look like if it's with yourself right like if the other <laughs> partner is literally like you like inside your body right the other thing that the, the thing the game is asking is like you know we talk about like romances are often about like sharing new experiences with each other right like oh i i like indie films you want to come on a date and watch this indie film with me um i really like you know ttrpg do you want to play ttrpg that kind of thing right this game asks us well what happens when the new experiences are much more mundane like soup right the alien has never had soup before Uh, what happens when the human is drinking soup could this be an erotic experience for the (laughs) alien Um, right so these so explorations of of the unknown can be as interesting as what just uh, explorations of of tropes that you're using right so think about that as a game designer and alex roberts has a game in the anthology about balloon fetishists right um, the balloon fetish community is fairly small compared to other subcultures of, of sexuality, I would say, I would hazard. Um, and so a lot of people don't know about the balloon fetish community. And so playing this game, which allows you to positively explore this, this culture of people is very interesting um, and very cool and very powerful. And of course, Alex did a lot of research for this game and like, went to balloon fetish communities and spoke to people and joined forums and things in order to do this and not misrepresent the community or treat them in a negative way. So again, like Jess and I said, it is not an easy thing to do, um, but like um, thinking of things outside the norm of when you think about romance, sexuality, asexuality, that kind of thing. I mean, a game about asexuality can be very, very powerful, fascinating, um, is another cool 
um, way to explore these, um, these themes um, in, in, in different and cool in ways that will open up avenues of game design. And like just being careful too, because like you mentioned, exploring this, these things positively. I mean, the themes of your game don't have to be positive, but ensuring that there are systems in place in your game for like safety, for the, for the comfort of the players, making sure that that is there in your game, I think is especially important for a romance game because of people's feelings. And um, also like in the sphere of romance, you know, there's a lot of content that might people might find either uncomfortable or altogether triggering so being careful with that um is very vitally important and being careful if you are exploring an aspect of romance that you don't personally or sexuality that you don't have personally in your life experienced doing the research for that um maybe getting a sensitivity reader like Mendez, um, so you, so those of you who know, who are in the TTF world might know about James Mendez Hodes, who is, you know, a well-known cultural consultant in the space. Mendez always has this thing where we, we talk on panels together where he, he talked about race a lot, right? But some of those elements um, apply here where Mendez always says, one, I don't, like, like if, let's say you are a, um, I don't know, a, a, a American, like, a white person who is playing a Chinese immigrant in in Jiangxi, right? Which is um, Banana Chan's uh, and San Fung Ling's game about Chinese vampire stuff, right? Mendes always says, we don't expect you to like read the history of Chinese immigration <laughs> or read all the mythology primary sources about Chinese vampires, right? That's also he wants to say, I was once DMing for Magpie Games, um, the Akira Pay program, a game, uh, uh, Urban Shadows game, and the friend's like, I'm going to read all about like what a Puerto Rican immigrant life is like. I'm like, you don't have to do that. Honestly, if you want to, amazing, lovely. You learn new things. You don't have to do that. As a player, all we ask of you is to be respectful and not try and think, like try and like not fall into stereotypes and things. Mm-hmm. That's true from a designer standpoint, or from, a, from a player standpoint. From a designer standpoint, however, I feel you have a little bit more responsibility. You do. Um, because you are giving tools to players. Now, again, this doesn't mean that um, you shouldn't take risks or whatever. The same, the same advice of like, try and be respectful comes in. But from a designer standpoint, I believe you have a bit more responsibility to do research, maybe bring in co-designers who um, can speak more about that community or that topic uh, more authentically, or like bring in like people who are part of the community to talk to them, show them the game, show them what you're trying to do. Um, Like Alex Roberts' game, uh, she designed solo, but she like worked with the community kind of thing. She like talked to them, got their primary insights to do that. Um, And I don't like, like, I think the the hashtag own voices idea uh, has become a little overblown, where initially it started out to be like, let's give people who are telling stories their about their own identity a platform. And it's it's kind of being used now as a cudgel to be like, if you do not come from that community, you can never write a story about them, right? Like if you're a man, you can never write about a woman. You know, that's that's a bit weird, right? Um um, so, so I don't want to tell you to like, if you're a, uh, I don't know, queer person, I don't want to say don't write about straight people, right? Um, all the way around. But I will tell you, if you're a straight person writing about a marginal identity, like a queer identity, do some research, talk to people, involve people, 
uh, if you're doing a game, if you're designing a game that's going to be commercial, make sure you pay these people who are you're bringing in um, to get this viewpoint, to get this perspective um, when you're designing this game. Yeah. I mean, there, there's all sorts of things that too, like when you are starting to do that research, things that you might have never, you know, known or, or realized that could end up being really interesting aspects of that game. Yeah. Um, so uh, again, like we have everyone, every human has their own, you know, personal experiences with romance. And if that's the only way you've ever experienced romance, then how are you going to know what might be cool in your game? So like uh, someone like I'm, I'm bisexual. One of the things that's really integral in my experience as a bisexual person is this like, and, and if someone were writing this story about me, I would warn them don't make it a stereotype about confusion but throughout my entire life i have either been oh my gosh i'm lying to myself i am a lesbian or oh my gosh i'm lying to myself i'm straight and you know this this aspect of the 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 bicycle as we as uh, we are very fond of calling it uh, is is something that you could maybe explore yeah bicycle. It's, it's the bicycle yeah you're you're you, back and forth between the two like am i this am i this and yeah. oh, it turns out i'm bisexual <laughs> um it, this uh, if i were to write a game about that experience i would include some mechanics about like you know this this swing back and forth of like my my two minds on things and and this this confusion um and and then eventually coming to uh terms and acceptance someone who's never experienced that might have never known that that is an experience that uh, not just me, but many bisexual people have in their life. Um, and, and how that is different in my experience of, of romance with people. Oh, this friendship that I thought was just a really strong, passionate friendship back in high school. Oh, I had a romantic, that was a romantic feeling that I did not know was a romantic feeling. Like there's all sorts of things that you can learn um, from, from, you know, talking to people or even just like going back through your diary when you were in middle school, all um, sorts of things. I, uh, oh, sorry, Craig. I just, I, I, I've been, I've been absorbing all of this because this is not something that I've really delved into in my own design. And as I was listening to you go through all of this, um, I designed a flirting mechanic in my head. Um, so, uh, the basics of it, it needs play testing. Right. Um, and you know, what better, thing to play test than a flirting mechanic. But um, because the thing that I find myself thinking about is like, if you're designing something like this, like what's what's at the core of the, the, the aspect of romance that you're trying to hit on? And so I was like, well, with flirting, it's always like, the tension of leading up to the first flirt. Like when you're first, like you, you like this person, you think they might like you. Mm -hmm. Like there's that build up to the tension of when, when somebody's going to do or say something that's going to be like, Oh, there's the flirt or and hope and hoping the other person recognizes that. Right. Um, so my thought was like, okay, let's say you're playing a game, you're rolling a pool of D sixes. So you're going to get a lot of different dice rolls. Um, and you're going to have a flirt lineup and it's one, two, three, four, five, six. You need six different things that are flirts, like things that you do that are flirtations. Um, and so if you're making check, if I make a check for my character and I roll, you know, whatever dice and I succeed at the thing and the person that I've got this, you know, we're building, we're going to, we're going to build this romantic flirtation thing with their, if their character would find what I just did kind of like, mm, you know, like, Hey, <laughs> um, then they tell me as a player. And I have to take one of those dice, one of the values and put it out in front of my table. And I'm going to start to make a lineup of one, two, three, four, five, and six. I can only put up one die of each type. 
And then when it's their turn, they do the same thing and they roll dice and they have to put the die out there. But when they put the die out there, it always has to be something that I don't have a die, that, that die value out there. So everybody's putting up like, you know, I've got a two, you've got a four, like a two is like, we're going to share a smoldering look. A four is one person's going to brush their hand against the other person's <laughs> arm. Um, and, you know, I put out a five and then you put out a three and then you roll dice. And the only dice that you rolled are ones that are in front of me. Well, now you have to put one of those dice out there and now we've matched dice and now the flirt has to happen. Like now's the moment where like the person, that's where the character says, all right, I'm going to take the chance. And, <laughs> and so you had this buildup of like, you know, will they, won't they, when, when will it happen? Um, of, of like, when are you going to finally match dice? Um, and then there's actually like a little bit of a randomness to like make it interesting um, in the moment for you to like, be like, okay, well, which one am I going to do? I like all three of these dice that I roll, they're all they're the same as yours. Am I going to, are we going to have a smoldering look? Let's have a smoldering look. <laughs> well, that um, actually be well, because the next point I was thinking of making that segue as well. Right. So if you have this like cool, like mechanic, right. Um, I think one of the things that um, is challenging is um, romance is a very um, it's, it's, it's hard to be abstract about romance, right? Like you won't feel it if you're just being like, oh yeah, um, if you just say the words, I flirt, right? Craig just mentioned like, no, no, we're gonna give a smoldering look or we're gonna like brush, right? Concrete details are mm -hmm. important when you want to do romance things, right? And so, and not just, not just like, like if you're a designer, create, actual physical actions like craig said like this means you are giving smoldering looks this means you say a funny comment whatever that kind of thing the other thing is it is good to have concrete details about characters right so in alex roberts's game in um, starcross when you're making characters you write you decide one thing about my character that i find attractive about myself like i the 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 new nun at this uh, monastery at this nunnery think that i have gorgeous hair or I have a lovely singing voice and then one thing that other play other people find attractive i have a kind smile or i have pretty eyes whatever right um, those kinds, if you mechanize, not necessarily mechanize in that side, but if you quantify your player, exactly. If you make your players come up with those, choose those, whatever, those are details that can be latched onto by mm -hmm. other players that, and if they're collaborative, even better, right? They can be like, well, let's think together. That depends on the style of game you're making, right? But those are things that players can then draw on because fictional romance can be hard for many people fictional combat scenes are much easier it's easier to be like i stab them in the gut and then twist the sword sideways and kick them in the throat <laughs> then oh uh what do i do that's cute right <laughs> well if you know that they have a that they have a lovely singing voice maybe your character's hey i've heard you sing well can you sing and that becomes the sweet moment right where you're mm -hmm. like okay I'll, I'll sing for you right right and um, and in in real life i think that it like Alex is modeling something that happens a lot in real life is like if, if a person, if two people are kind of, there's something building between them, they're going to notice the things about the other person that they like, but they're also going to pick up at times on the things that that person likes about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so what, what's one of the things you, you you're, you're going to do to show that you're paying attention that way and, and show an interest in the person is to comment on the, like this 
person's lovely singing voice because they know they think they have a lovely singing voice and they're and so it becomes a compliment and it's not just like a random like i'm just saying something nice to you i'm saying something because i paid attention to the fact that you have talked about how you really like your voice or you enjoy singing and if you enjoy singing you probably like your voice um and because it was made during character creation or whatever it like you know everyone likes using what's on their character sheet right like i have this power i can use it well in this game your power is lovely singing voice so it'll come <laughs> into play in your like flirtation right um and then the last maybe last whatever one of the the thing the last thing i wanted to say is also and this is for um games that are more like you know bigger with more people and stuff where you have like a game like Starcross, you know, there's a game where the two of us are going to play a romance game. But the other game where that might not be the focus, but it's mm -hmm. an option, right? Mm -hmm. um, is um, a thing that I saw done really well in the LARP Just a Little Loving, uh, which is by Hanne Grasmo and TK Edlund. It's a day, day I think they're Danish. Oh, they might be Swedish. I'm sorry, um, but it's a it's a lot Scandinavian um, LARP um, that's fairly heavy it's a larp about um it's a large five day long larp with a lot of pre-homework and and discussion stuff about the first few years of the aids crisis and you are all playing queer people in new york at that time right but one of the things the game explores is desire right um and it's a large larp with 100 200 people i played at a 110 person version i think um where if you want to show desire to someone else and you want to simulate this idea of cruising right not everyone is used to like picking people up at a club right, right. especially all these larpers <laughs> who are be playing different genders we don't know each other we're not <laughs> in an actual club environment where the expectation is we might pick each other up so they have a mechanic to show desire in someone um each player had these pink feathers on their person and when you so let's say jess and i are playing right let's say jess and i are playing leather daddies um in the <laughs> early right um leather daddies in the early 80s will very easily give each other knowing looks and pick each other up and then go have a leather scene right jess and i do not have that experience of being leather daddies um but to simulate that i would offer jess's character this pink feather right um Jess knows that, ah, this is a sign that Sharon's character is making eyes or whatever at my character. Um, and then if Jess accepts it, then we both know that our characters have made like eyes at each other, that we've cruised each other, and that we have both agreed that we're going to move forward, right? Um, so that's a great way of, and this is, this is particularly to a LARP setting, right? That's a great way of having it, it it sort of simulates this like give and take what the words you use Jess mm -hmm. um, without you know having a workshop on training people right. on how to pick each other up right 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 um, so it's the having, simulation of this yeah yeah and so that's it's less of like yeah it's, it's a way of like using these non-game elements to then show oh there's a way to pick up and if Jess doesn't pick up the feather and that could be for whatever reason, which we're not going to ask, right? Because that's, you know, why would you do that? Um, 
that just shows that Jessel's character gently rebuffed us. Now, you can then go out of game and negotiate, oh, maybe it wasn't a gentle negotiation. Maybe maybe Jessel's character slaps me in the... There's a Nordic LARP, right? So, <laughs> right? Maybe Jessel's character slapped me because she thinks... Uh, because he thinks I'm gross, right? And then we have the drama about that. But um, the fact that Jess didn't accept the feather is a at least a gentle way of being like, okay, this didn't happen. Um, uh, they didn't accept, now what happens next, right? And then there's a lot more going on in that game. You have a negotiation section, then you actually have a simulation of the sex section, blah, blah. We won't go into that. The main thing I wanted to show was having mechanics um, to allow for the invitation, you know? Mm -hmm. It would be fun to have, uh, you guys know about like the the red string, like it's this, um, this metaphor for your soulmate or something, yep, having yep. a mechanic involving the red string and actually having them tied to your ring finger yeah. and trying to play a game while everyone's red strings are everywhere. Yeah. Maybe the GM <laughs> has a pair of scissors. I mean, there could be something really fun in that. Uh, and and like you said, Sharon, it doesn't have to be a game that's centered all the way around romance. These could be the, the elements. If you want to make it important in your game, could be one of those elements in there. You might also have, this might be a game about thirsty sword lesbians, for example. Right, <laughs> where, right. Where the swords and, you know, the thirst, they are both important portions yeah. of the game. Um, and that brings in what we talked <clears throat> about earlier, right? Which is bringing in mechanics from other games mm -hmm. as mini elements of the larger game, right? I think mm -hmm. that's a, we can tie that in. Like, you can have this red strings idea in this other game that's about exactly other stuff, like space exploration, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or like if you're doing like a, a medieval style court romance. The 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 romance is a very important part of of these stories, but so is the going off to war or making tribute to your king and all of these other things. But but the romance that's that's at the heart of like the actual romance and not just like the literary romance um, is, is part of that. So thinking about okay, if this is an important element of my game, how am I allowing it to happen? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I think that's yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I now uh, I, I I love in in my like TV shows and movies that I watch and, and my books. I don't read a lot or watch a lot of just just romance, but I love when there are characters who are falling in love in my shows. Like, oh, I love that so much. It just it just <laughs> yeah, oh, it gets me. Great. I, I feel that the uh, I'm I'm just mentioning not not saying that you said this. I'm just saying this for our audience that the romance genre is demonized very often. Uh, which is unfortunate uh, because mm -hmm. a it's a legit genre that serves a human desire for art and representation um so do not demonize romance because it also stems from a misogynistic impulse it's true um but i yeah i like what you said just that it's nice to sometimes have like romance plot lines and you're like other thing that's going on we all know this right there are all these action hero movies with like a small romance plot line yeah they tend to be very heteronormative and sometimes problematic and dumb but when but. they're not done <laughs> in those ways it can be really like lovely mm -hmm. and, and from a game perspective too the question becomes like if there's a romance aspect to the game like what complications does the potential of romance between characters bring to what the game is otherwise about or what other what, what the other like I was just in my head. I was like, okay, what happens if you got like a, a heist crew 
that where there's the potential for, you know, romantic flirtation and this and that between people. And, you know, at some point something goes wrong in the heist, like who blames who, who defends who, Mm -hmm. like you could defend, you could, you could develop all sorts of, um, you know, role-playing opportunities and sort of inter-character tensions because you've already also in the game established that there's a romantic connection between different characters. The person that you have a romantic connection to is in danger or they're doing something like that you don't want them to be doing that's going to impact your roles or your card flips or yeah. whatever. Um, like maybe there are penalties if your if your partner is being attacked by ghosts and you're trying to be <laughs> over here stabbing a vampire, whatever you you're doing. The in your ghost game. thieves guild. Yeah. Oh no. <sighs> that are doing the heist and they're falling in love. <laughs> um, I, I like that point, but I also want to say that um, I feel that there are two poles here, right? And you want to check in with your players to see what they are interested in, right? You could have players who are like, yes, bring this romance plot, entangle it, everything, right? Like, I'm in love with Strahd, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but you also want the players... Well, like, I want a side story in this game where I just, like, occasionally have, like, a get to narrate a one-minute date with this cute boy that I'm going off, right? So I was, um, uh, uh, WebDM is a, a streaming channel that I was playing a game of um, The Dark Eye, the German uh, trace, um, uh, D20 game of, um, and my character for the, for the campaign had this, like, random, like, um, blacksmith boyfriend who he met in the city and every once in a while I'd have a cute scene where like what is Sharing's character doing oh he's on a date with this blacksmith boyfriend and uh, they like I don't know went to an opera together or something right uh, some players might just want that and so you want to just check in because that could be the fantasy of the game that they want they go slay dragons but every once in a while they go home to their boyfriend and make out of it right um you don't <laughs> want to then be like oh and now your boyfriend is being tortured right by the-. they might not want they might be like oh i kind of want to keep that part of the game separate from the adventure part just check in and you know they'll tell you what they want right and yep. if they're not sure try it and if they don't try it you can be like oh okay then that won't happen again you know mm-hmm. Um, Again, safety tools, right? Exactly. We have calibration tools for that. Uh, But I think it's important because some people also don't realize it might be a thing they don't want, right? Like, um, when I played The Dark Eye, um, our GM, Susanna, was very clever. She's like, uh, when she's asking about, about, uh, um, about, like, you know, um, uh, uh, lines and veils, um, you know, things that often come up are like children in danger or torture or heavy sexual scenes. Um, she's like, how do you feel about betrayal, right? Because some people, I would get very upset if I'm playing a campaign where I have a romance for like 20 sessions with a character and then they're actually betraying me and are an agent of Asmodeus and want to kill me, right? I would not want that. Um, like that would make me upset. I'd be like, I don't want that. That's not fun for me anymore. So check in with your players if you want to do that kind of plot line because they can form betrayal is something very that can be very like strongly emotional and cause a lot of bleed for players. Mm-hmm. Um, so check in when you're involving romance that either there's betrayal or like tragedy. Check in if your players are interested mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. And and if you're designing a game with with a, a strong romance aspect to it, you know, you know own it, put it up there, make sure that people are aware when they're yes. reading uh, about the game, mm-hmm. when they're reading the rules of the game, when it, you know, what's on the blurb on the back. Um, if you've got a crowdfunding, whatever going on, um, you know, p- put that in there and then include that sort of information in 
in the discussion of like how to incorporate the romances, like make sure that like, maybe these are, maybe here's a half, you know, other than this, the typical stuff that you know, like you see, see so often in lines and veils, betrayal and other things that, that play into romantic uh, relationships might be just like bullet point just put them in there and say like make sure to ask your players like because yeah. it's it romance where everything kind of goes wonderfully and everybody and, and then the players are just enjoying like hey i've got this you know character mm -hmm. with this romantic thing and it's like a fun little diversion and i i enjoy playing that out and then like having it turn dark mm -hmm. that those are two very different experiences mm -hmm. or ask them. Like, you don't always know like if one of your players is in the process of getting a divorce that you don't know about yeah. because their spouse cheated on them and you don't know about this, and then you start bringing that into the thing, that could, I mean, obviously they're lying for a reason, but but romance can affect people in ways that other things don't affect them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. Again, because it's this really integral part of a lot of people's lives. It's like one of the things that a lot of most humans will do. And, um, and many people have had a bad experience mm -hmm. with it yeah because every time you get more than one person in a room someone's gonna have a disagreement that's yep, that's yep. life yeah for you can also instead of just asking them like what what don't you want ask them specifically what do you like you know which also applies to your regular romantic relationships so for me i love when my romance goes sour like i don't love it in my real life but i love that i love exploring <laughs> that in stories i i would love my my romantic partner in this game for 20 sessions to suddenly turn out to be an agent of asmodeus yeah. and want to kill i would love i would love that that would be so juicy for me but not gonna be juicy for sharon right exactly <laughs> and that's that's okay for everyone involved right it's okay for it to be amazing for one player and not for another because we play and experience stories and games differently right mm -hmm. so yeah well sharon this has been a lot of fun thank you so much for for coming in and, and talking with us about these great topics uh, tell us a little bit more about where we can find you and find your stuff. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I'm Sharon Biswas. You can see the spelling um, on the podcast. Um, so my Twitter is Sharon Biswas. I'm very active on Twitter. I'm like somewhat active on Instagram. If you really want to follow me on Instagram, <laughs> feel free. Um, my itch page is astrolingus.itch.io, um, which has some of the games I make. Um, I really want to talk about this new project I'm working on, which started out as a Twitter joke. Um, I <laughs> I was working on Avatar The Last Airbender, and it was late in the night, and I'm like, if I finish on time, if I'm a good boy and work hard, I will write a Twitter thread. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Go for yeah. it. Um, I, was, uh, I, I, I said, if I'm a good boy and I finish my work by 1 a.m., I will um, write a Twitter thread called, How Does Each D&D Character Class Fuck? <laughs> um, I wasn't a good boy. I finished at 4 a.m. Um, but I'm like, we just want to write this. So the next day, after I got seven hours of sleep, so in the afternoon, I <laughs> did this. It was like a each tweet, each tweet was one tweet length microfiction about a saucy scene with a DD character class. And I love I thought I liked it. I liked writing it. People liked it. Um last week I made one called How Did D Character Class Kiss? Look it up. Um <laughs> And I decided to turn that into an anthology of saucy flash fiction stories about <laughs> each D&D character class. And I, I wrote love the, that. I've written a couple of them so far. The first one is up for free on my itch page, also pinned to my Twitter. If It's about the cleric. Uh, it's about a bisexual threesome with a cleric. Um, 
And um, I, if the, I'm aiming to these be very positive, uplifting stories. Um, they're not about like, oh, the cleric doesn't know how to have sex because he's repressed and he's so terrible. Um, it's not about that at all. Um, it's a very sexy cleric, in fact. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so check it out. The first story is for free on Itch. If you donate to the Itch, you don't have to. Um, that's building a fund to make an audio version of that by a very talented voice actor friend of mine who specializes in romance novel voice acting. Um, and I'm going to crowdfund it um, uh, in the new year as well for the entire anthology, or at least the first six stories, which is one anthology. I might make a second part. Um, so yeah, if you're into D&D things, if you're into romance thing, which are slightly spicy, well, very spicy, they're very explicit. Um, uh, I'm also ending each chapter with a sex move um, a la Monster Hearts. So if you want to introduce that into your D&D game, each character class is going to have a unique sex move. Um, feel free to check <laughs> it out. It's called The Tome of Dark Delights. Um, so you can search that. There'll be links here. Um, yeah. Um, that's related to this like romancy thing. So I want to talk about that today. I, I like that. And you know, it's it's so Eurocentric and Western centric to think that clerics aren't going to they're that they're going to be repressed. You know, how, for how many thousands of years were the clerics the ones doing all of right? the sex? They were doing Temple all prostitutes were a thing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh yeah, I uh I will look out for that. And you can find my stuff on wannabegames.com or on itch or drive through RPG under the same name. I am just right now thinking about making it is currently December 19th. This uh I'm making a game about Gremlins 3, which is a non-existent movie. Um that is <laughs> that is just for a little tiny, tiny side project that I'm doing for fun with my partner Alex. So uh that will Maybe I'll put that out there for a more general audience, but that's what I'm working on. Uh, and I am at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. The website is nerdburgergames.com. The games are also at drivethroughrpg.com. And I want to know when the three of us are going to get together online and design the uh, ghost thief heist romance game that we have clearly started to put together during the course of this episode. Ghost thief heist romance. <laughs> That could be the name of the game, Ghost Thief Heist Romance. Yeah. Very descriptive name. You know yeah, like, exactly what you're getting into. Like you said, Jess with Thirsty Sword Lesbians, right? Exactly. Very simple name. Great. <laughs> they're going to be thirsty. They're going to have swords. Yeah. They're going to be lesbians. lesbians. You know. like, does, like, the, right? like the movie Ninja Assassin. I wonder what that movie's about. <laughs> I think we've the current trend in naming is just be very quick. Visigoths versus Molgoths. What's the game about? It's right there in the title. Right? It's very different from, you know, early on, like Nobilis. So what's Nobilis about, right? <laughs> Read the thing, right? Uh, I think we're in this current trend of like, be very explicit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. And thank you to Steph Sachs for the opening and closing song of our podcast called Avel. And thank you for licensing that under Creative Commons. I love Creative Commons and I love you all for listening. Thank you. We'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.